0: agreement by trump and biden campaigns that all parties be tested before debate and all audience will wear masks trump arrives late missing testing his family refuses to wear masks even after warned by medical staff to do so donald trump tests positive for COVID. no one is informed including biden campaign debate staff white house staff trump travels to minnesota has private fundraiser at donor's home, rally. On return trip, Hope Hicks feels sick and is moved to rear of plane. Still, no warning to staff or public. Hope Hicks is diagnosed with COVID. Trump begins treatment for COVID. Trump travels to New Jersey for private fundraiser with donors, many over 70 years old. No one is told he is COVID positive and undergoing treatment. Reporter breaks story that Hope Hicks has COVID. After midnight on Thursday, White House announces Trump and Melania Trump have COVID. Over next 36 hours, campaign manager Bill Stepien, positive. Governor Chris Christie, positive. Senator Mike Lee, positive. President of Notre Dame, positive. RNC chair Ronna McDaniel, Positive. Kellyanne Conway. Positive. Senator Tom Tillis. Positive. Senator Ron Johnson. Positive. Trump's body man, Nick Luna. Positive. White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany. Positive. All were with Donald Trump. None were warned he was positive. If Donald Trump doesn't care enough about those closest to him to warn them he has COVID, Why should we ever think he cares about us? Good question, Lincoln Project.
1: Thank you for asking. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica with Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. We're heard on KPSQ in Fayetteville, Arkansas, KODX in Seattle, WADR in Janesville, Wisconsin, and on AM 950, KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation... NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Bird and Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from BradBlog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay they are trying to do it again. Do not be gaslighted by this White House. The media are not making that easy to not be gaslighted because it seems that they never learn. Donald Trump planned his escape from Walter Reed Medical Center on Monday night at 6.30 p.m. He announced it earlier in the day on Twitter. 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time just happens to be the time ...that the networks run their evening newscasts. He knows that, and so that's when he planned for his dramatic helicopter airlift from Walter Reed back to the White House at 6.30 p.m. in time to be live on the network newscasts. And though they know better, the network news outlets fell for it, Uh, anyway. At least the CBS Evening News did with Nora O'Donnell and former Fox News White House correspondent Major Garrett, who is now at CBS. They devoted the evening's entire 30 minute broadcast to the staged 10 minute trip from Walter Reed to the White House. As a poster over at uh, Daily Coast observed, To be fair, O'Donnell and Garrett were very critical of Trump, repeatedly noting that this was essentially a political stunt timed for prime time on the East Coast. But they gave Trump the full half hour, not a word about the election, about Joe Biden, about the hurricane heading towards Louisiana or any other news of the day. Toward the end of the show, he says, the, uh, O'Donnell commented that Trump was a master of using the media. <laughs> he said, I don't have an exact quote, but she essentially said something like, look how he's taken over our coverage for the entire primetime news.
2: We're entirely powerless to stop this.
1: Right. Look, Nora, and you let it happen. Will you ever learn? Will you people ever learn? Apparently not. Donald Trump ended his trip with what appeared to be a triumphant salute from atop the White House balcony. From the wide shot that most media outlets had at the time, it appeared to be a glorious, triumphant homecoming as he took off his mask as if to declare he had defeated the deadly virus. Single-handedly. Well, he hasn't. A closer look at that video reveals our uh, still-infected, still-very-sick president was... Yes, still gasping for air in that shot, trying to look as if he was not after climbing a few stairs up to the balcony. But that was not made clear to viewers watching the live network news coverage. So, yeah, do not let yourself be gaslighted. Not again. We had a caller to this program at the end of yesterday's broadcast, a Republican woman uh, listening from San Diego, who called in at the very end, so I didn't have time to chat with her as much in detail as I would normally have otherwise enjoyed. Uh, She claimed I needed to get my facts straight before going on air about what it is that I'm covering, though I assured her I did have time to tell her that I, I most certainly do get my facts straight. Uh, but I didn't have time to ask her what facts that she was talking about before I had to close the show. Uh, now, Desi Doyen, uh, hello. Hello. You said that she told you when you screened the call that she was uh, hearing things on the program that she had never heard before. Yes. That that I had, I had uh, uh, is that what she said? Just yes. Just to be accurate? Yes, to
2: be clear. She said she had never heard some of these things that you were saying. She'd never heard them before.
1: Now, uh, I think one of the problems she uh, had was, and she didn't mention this on air, but that I had reported that only about 10 people had ever taken uh, remdesivir, she said. Uh, That's one of the several kitchen sink treatments that they're throwing at the president. Uh, That one, by the way, uh, without any proven effect against COVID, according to Anthony Fauci. It's actually an anti-Ebola drug. Um, But in fact... I hadn't said that about remdesivir, that only 10 people had used that. Okay. I was uh, very clearly referring to the two experimental monoclonal antibody treatments uh, made by Regeneron, which uh, no more than 10 people have been apparently allowed to try. And it's not even approved yet as an actual treatment for COVID-19, but it was allowed... To the president, under so-called compassionate use, I'm sorry that she, you know we didn't have time to discuss that with the caller, uh, C.J. I think was I, her name, as I, I recall. To be honest, <laughs> um, but I do hope she'll call back during a future show because obviously she has been gaslighted and apparently happily so, I guess, by this president and by the sycophants who help him lie, and the media which make it all possible. So I'm saying, don't let it happen to you. So here are the facts. The president is still sick, and his doctor, Sean Conley, is a liar, who is happy to lie on behalf of the president, which frankly represents my greatest disappointment over the past four years, specifically the number of people who have been more than happy to lie for this president. I expected that Trump would, of course, be a disaster because we know he is a twisted liar. We knew that going in. What has been a surprise, however, is the number of people who are happy to go along with those lies and not just go along with them, but make them possible Lie along with him over these past hellish four years, people like you know Lindsey Graham, who I hope we get to talk about uh, in a little bit if I have time. Uh, you know who called him uh, unfit for office. What was he, he called him a race baiting uh, idiot or something like that? And then after he was elected, said no, he's not a race baiting idiot. So you know to see that from people like that. Uh, That has been the most troubling, the most disturbing uh, thing I think we've seen in these past four years when it comes to how so many in this nation are willing to support someone who is an obvious, complete and total liar. And they're happy to go along with it. Now, none of this really should have been a surprise. I have cited many times over the years uh, the ending of one of my favorite Charlie Chaplin films. The Great Dictator, when Chaplin, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. It was Chaplin's first talkie, uh, and it's fantastic. Um, You've probably seen scenes from it, but the whole movie is great. So the scene when Chaplin, who plays in the film both a Jewish barber in a Nazi Germany-like country... Uh, who happens to look exactly like the country's dictator, who was also played by Chaplin. By the end of the film, the, uh, the Jewish barber gets mistaken for the Hitler character and is forced to go up on stage uh, to the, and, and, and give a speech to the Hitler character's adoring throngs who had previously chaired, uh, cheered the maniacal dictator's speeches. Um, just as Hitler's minions did. So they push the Jewish barber up there. He's timid at first. He tries to sort of address the crowd with some words of hope and kindness and charity. The audience does not understand that at all, after all the hateful speech from the dictator. But as the Jewish barber uh, gets going, he gets worked up into a passionate lather, just like the dictator, but instead of screaming and shouting messages of hate, he's screaming and shouting messages of hope and kindness for all. And eventually the throngs start cheering just as wildly for that message as they did for the dictator's passionate messages of hate. Now, what I have always taken from that scene is that people want to be led. They want a leader who is passionate and who believes in themselves In fact, no matter what the message actually is that that leader is offering, which is why Trump's followers seem to be happy to follow him wherever he wants to go, even if he wants to go to places that those followers have for years uh, been against. No matter how ridiculous and false and and contradictory and dangerous and nonsensical his pronouncements might be, he declares them as if he means them, and people are ready to follow them, even things they've disagreed with for years. Take this example. This is from this uh, rally in Newport News, News, Virginia. Virginia. How long ago was this? Uh, This this
2: was... was just at the end of September.
1: OK, just a few weeks ago, he was in this rally in Virginia announcing that uh, Trump was announcing that he was going to continue. I think this was an Obama era moratorium, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh,
2: we reported on it on yeah. GNR. He was uh, an Obama uh, era moratorium on offshore drilling. Right. And Trump rolled that back and then he reinstated it just in time for the election and only for battleground states.
1: He So he puts this ban back in for that Florida, He used yeah. to be against. Right. And so he's announcing that uh, offshore drilling off the coasts of Virginia, where he was speaking, and North Carolina, which he desperately would like to win, will be uh, called off. While there, there, well, the moratorium will stay, so the offshore drilling will be called off, and only for those states, right? And here he is declaring this at this rally that he is essentially going to ban oil drilling off of Virginia and North Carolina and mind you, after Trump Trump has been in favor of, you know, drilling offshore, onshore drilling for oil, natural gas, coal, whatever here he is announcing to his supporters that he's going to ban drilling off of Virginia and North Carolina.
0: So I'm extending the moratorium to North Carolina and Virginia. Okay, Yay! They're
1: going crazy! They love it! Now, mind you, had he stood up there and announced he was banning uh, oil drilling offshore of Virginia and North Carolina, they would have cheered him just as wildly because, oh, then they would have been in favor of the... I mean, it, it's it's insane. He was lifting uh, o- Obama's moratorium originally, And they loved it then. And then they didn't care when he said just the opposite to them at this rally. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't care. And and that is just how those many of those very same yutzes also went along with George W. Bush's ridiculous wars in Iraq and Afghanistan after 9-11, including Trump, by the way, who now pretends that he opposed them. So uh, now that he pretends to oppose them, his supporters pretend to oppose those wars as well. But they were all in favor then. And now they're only pretending to be against them because that is what Donald Trump is pretending. They go along with the leader. People want to be led. So don't be gaslighted by all of this. You can, yes, you can believe your eyes, no matter what he and his administration and his sycophantic dissembling supporters and doctors, doctors... And enabling media, no matter what they are all lying to you about, you know the truth. Don't fall for the con. Not less than one month before your last chance to vote against this demonic, diabolic, anti-democracy demon. And that is exactly what he is. Do not be fooled. I know it's not easy. We're all being bombarded with nonsense and lies right now. And that will continue, and it will probably get worse until, you know, and likely beyond Election Day on November 3rd. But don't be fooled. Shockingly, the Silicon Valley social media giants are sort of starting to help a little bit. Take your time, Facebook. On Tuesday, Facebook removed a post from Donald Trump that violated its policy against sharing misinformation about the coronavirus. One of the very few times that the social network has actually taken down one of Trump's posts, which, of course, include thousands and thousands of lies, dangerous lies over the years. In the uh, now removed message from Trump, according to The New York Times, he falsely claimed that the flu was responsible for more deaths than the coronavirus. In fact, the U.S. uh, in the U.S. more than 210,000 have now died from the coronavirus this year alone. Trump wrote in the post, many people every year, sometimes over 100,000 and despite the vaccine die from the flu. We have learned to live with it just like we are learning to live with covid in most populations. It is far less lethal. He lied to Facebook. Yeah. In fact, uh, as infectious disease epidemiologist and professor at UCLA, Dr. Anne Ramoyne noted on Twitter, quote, More people in the U.S. have already died from COVID-19 so far this year than have died from the flu during the past five flu seasons combined. Don't be gaslighted. The president's comments and actions over the past few days, including his Twitter message on uh, late on Monday, telling Americans, quote, don't be afraid of covid, don't let it dominate your life. They have drawn outrage from scientists and ethicists and doctors, as well as from people whose relatives and friends have died. Harold Schmidt, an assistant professor of medical ethics and health policy at the University of Pennsylvania, responded, quote, I am struggling for words. This is crazy. It is just utterly irresponsible. Facebook had previously removed ads and posts by Trump's campaign for spreading coronavirus misinformation or for violating policies about hate symbols. It took down a video that Trump had posted in August in which he claimed that children were, quote, virtually immune to the virus. But it is very rare for them to remove an actual post by the president. And I am glad they did so here. Not that it will keep his brain poisoned followers from believing him anyway. This year, uh, Facebook introduced new policies to remove misinformation related to COVID-19, quote, that could contribute to imminent physical harm. The company has applied the policy to remove posts that, quote, make false claims about cures, treatments, the availability of essential uh, services or the location and severity of the outbreak. Trump also tweeted that very same message, ...that Facebook has now removed, uh, in which he falsely claimed that the flu was responsible uh, for more deaths than the coronavirus. Twitter added a label to that tweet, which hides the message, saying that the Post violated its policies by spreading uh, misinformation about COVID, and that the uh, label will mean engagements with the tweet will be significantly limited, but that's good. But now that he's, you know, no longer hospitalized over a virus that he spent months purposefully downplaying to the public, according to Christina Cabrera at TPM, Donald Trump has been eager to falsely portray COVID-19 as no big deal at all. He irresponsibly told the country first, quote, don't be afraid of covid on Monday, shortly after leaving Walter Reed Medical Center, where doctors reported his oxygen blood levels had dropped twice in recent days. Now he's claiming to feel like a million bucks, despite still being infected with the virus and his own doctor's remarks that the president is, quote, not out of the woods and that he likely would not be out of those woods until at least next Monday at the earliest. Nonetheless, he tweeted uh, Tuesday morning in all caps, quote, feeling great. Yes, dexamethasone helps you feel that way, doesn't it?
2: Yes, it does.
1: Part of his uh, frantic PR cleanup also involves regurgitating the same comparison between COVID-19 and the flu that he had endlessly been pushing back in early 2020. And in no meaningful sense has the U.S., quote, learned to live with COVID-19, given that 210,000 Americans are now dead. They didn't learn to live with it. And that case count continues to grow, and millions are struggling with unemployment in this country caused by this pandemic, made worse because of the failure of this president. Additionally, Trump himself admitted to reporter Bob Woodward back in February that the virus was, quote, more deadly than the flu, which Woodward then sat on for months. He had tapes of it. He sat on it for months while Trump was spreading the lie to the contrary in public to the point where millions of Americans now believe him. And eight months into this crisis, he still repeats the same nonsense blithely. Multiple epidemiologists uh, and health professionals called out Trump's dangerously rosy uh, messaging on Twitter today. University of North Carolina AIDS researcher Ryan McNamara tweeted in response to the claim that uh, sometimes more than 100,000 die from the flu each year. He says this is a lie and a lie that will get people killed. The last time more than 100,000 Americans passed away due to influenza was in 1968. He said, we're already twice that number with COVID-19 and we're going into fall with 40,000 plus new cases each and every day. Oregon Health and Science University emergency medicine professor Dr. Esther Shu said the idea that seasonal influenza is as deadly as COVID and it just slipped our notice is, of course, absurd. As to his claims that no one should be afraid of COVID, that we should not let it dominate us, and that we should just learn to live with it, well, the medical professionals, the real ones, not White House Dr. Sean Conley, who apparently just plays a bad, lying doctor on TV. The real ones were equally ticked off about that. Dr. Krutika Kupali, infectious disease physician at Johns Hopkins University, tweeted, there are many things concerning about the Trump COVID-19 situation for me as a physician, scientist most disheartening uh, she said is that he received therapy no one else in the world has received and then he goes out and says COVID-19 is no big deal Harvard epidemiologist and immunologist Michael Mina uh, responded, This frustrates and angers and saddens me beyond belief. A man literally benefiting right now from potentially life-saving treatment that essentially no human has access to and is treated with intense medicines telling the world not to take this virus seriously. And finally, uh, Stanford's Dr. Eugene Jew, uh, don't be afraid of COVID, he says. Not every American has access to the top therapeutics and doctors with the most advanced equipment available to the president of the United States. You feel better than you did 20 years ago? That's because of your dexamethasone high that resembles mania. That, of course, is the steroid that Trump is being treated with, which is recommended by the uh, WHO and the National Institutes of uh, Health only for those with severe or critical cases. And, yes, it causes mania, along with, yes, an inflated sense of (laughs) well-being. And even euphoria. Right. So uh, both of all of which is the last thing this president needs. Uh, But, hey, uh, good news. Most Americans do not appear to be falling for it. Good for you, America. When when Trump first uh, publicly was diagnosed with COVID, in truth, uh, evidence now strongly suggests that he knew he was positive, perhaps for several days before it was actually made public. But when uh, when all of this, uh, you know, did become public, many thought that, well, he might get a sympathy bounce in the polls because, oh, the president is sick. That does not appear to be happening, at least as of now. Not at all. In interviews conducted on Friday and Saturday after the announcement that Trump had tested positive for the virus, a new ABC News Ipsos poll finds that while concern about the virus itself has increased, The announcement has not dramatically shifted the views of the president one way or another. Four in five Americans, that's 81%, report being concerned about being infected by the coronavirus. That is actually up from 72%. That's a nine-point jump from just two weeks ago. It's also the highest mark of concern since April. So, yes, that is good. Yes, you should fear covid Just one third of Americans approve of the way that Trump is handling the response to the coronavirus. That's barely a third of Americans. I I wonder which third that is. That is unchanged over the past month. Only a quarter, 27 percent, believe that Trump has taken the risk of contracting coronavirus seriously enough, while 72 percent do not think he took the risks seriously enough. A similar amount, 72 percent do not think Trump took appropriate precautions regarding his own personal health. So no, no apparent sympathy bounce in that poll. CNN Zone polling finds very similar numbers today. They say two thirds of Americans say that Trump handled the risk of coronavirus infection to others around him irresponsibly two-thirds of Americans.
2: And the same one-third thinks he didn't.
1: No. Everything's fine it's to them. It's the same people. I know it is, going around and around. The same people, and that's why I mentioned George W. Bush. Yep. He had similar numbers, you know, back during the, the same all 30%. of his disasters yep. that just would not let him go. With uh, Trump hospitalized at Walter Reed National uh, Military Center, according to the CNN poll, of Americans said they trusted little of what they heard from the White House about the president's health. 69 That's 70%. Only 12% say they trusted almost all of it. Who are those yutzes who trust almost everything they hear from the White House? They should probably, uh, you know, well, maybe be treated themselves at a hospital at this point. Disapproval of the president's handling of the virus outbreak stands at a new high in this survey. 60% say they disapprove. Only 37% approve. That's a lot of Trump supporters in there who disapprove of Trump's handling of the virus, too. So it's only getting worse for the president just days before the election. And that is on the issue that most Americans are currently cited as their number one concern heading into this election. And by the way, that 60 percent number, you know, who disapprove of his handling the virus, that's the highest it's been going back to April when just 52 percent disapproved. So things are getting worse, not better. Additionally, uh, 63 percent say his own infection is unlikely to change anything about the way that he handles the pandemic. And given his behavior over the past 24 hours, I would say that those 63 percent of Americans.
2: (laughs) Absolutely right.
1: Yep. There is no sympathy bounce for this president. Overall, Trump's approval ratings in the polls stand at just 40 percent, with 57 percent disapproving, according to this uh, CNN poll conducted by SSRS. His disapproval rating is up by four points since September. Things are not getting better for this president, and that disapproval is, uh, is showing up more and more in actual election pollings as well. Polling as well between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump over the weekend, a new national poll of registered voters released by NBC and Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal gave Joe Biden a whopping 14-point lead. 53. To 39, Joe Biden over Donald Trump, according to NBC and Rupert Murdoch. Now, that's a national poll of registered voters, and many regarded that poll. When I saw it, I joined many who thought, well, this is an outlier. Most other polls have Biden up nationally from, you know, anywhere from six, seven, eight points at best, not double digits. Even the previous NBC Wall Street Journal poll had Biden up only by eight. So this must be an outlier. This must be noise in the polling. Something went wrong. But that poll had been taken in the two days following last week's disastrous first presidential debate. Remember that? That nearly doubled Biden's previous margin over Trump in this same poll, with voters saying two to one in the poll that Biden has the better temperament to be president. So that was a big thing that could have changed, that could have bumped it up from an eight-point lead to a 14-point lead, that, that poll that we saw last week. But in fact, it might not have been an outlier. The new CNN-SSRS national poll released today of likely voters which is usually more precise than a a, a poll of registered voters, likely voters, according to the new CNN poll, puts Joe Biden up over Donald Trump, not by 14 points, but by a whopping 16 points. Hmm. 16 points among likely voters nationally, 57 of 41. In, In theory, that should be a smaller margin because it's likely voters, not registered voters. But here it's larger and larger than we saw in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Both polls were taken entirely after that off-the-rails performance at the debate last Tuesday, but CNN's poll, taken Thursday through Sunday, also captured most of the window in which the public had learned that Trump had tested positive for COVID-19. CNN says it is important to note that these increases in support for Biden have not come alongside substantial decreases in backing for Trump. The president's core supporters remain as supportive of him as ever, they say. But Trump does not appear to have made any gains among the groups his campaign needs to in order to dent that longstanding lead from Biden. Of course, regardless of Biden's national lead, the race for the White House comes down to a handful of swing states usually and the ability for voters to actually cast votes in those states and to have their votes counted as cast The former vice president leads or is tied in almost all of those critical battlegrounds, though by uh, more narrow margins than these national numbers we're now seeing. But he does appear to be doing well there, too, at least according to the polling. And it is not just in the states considered battlegrounds where things appear anyway to be going very well for the Democrats. Again, at least according to the polls. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back we'll talk about some of those states and we'll, uh, well, if time, we'll talk about exactly why Republicans are working so hard to find judges who will agree with them, like on their stolen U.S. Supreme Court, to make voting as difficult as possible. And yes, given these numbers, you would too, at least if you were a crooked Lying Republican. Back with that news right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The Bradcast survives thanks to you and your support. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us continue to do over your public airwaves what we try to do five days a week. That's bradblog.com slash donate and thank you. Kansas? Yep. Good choice. Welcome <laughs> back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, we with uh, let's see, less than a month now to go before election day and with the uh, political environment only getting worse for Republicans, Daily Coast Elections says that they are moving their race ratings in 10 contests, all in the direction of the Democrats, including several contests that were once, uh, as they describe it, beyond the fringe, but are now coming online. So I want to focus on two of them here uh, quickly uh, that I believe are noteworthy. And please note that even though Daily Coast Elections tends to lean, Progressive, They actually try to play it very fair, and I think they're actually being very, very conservative in these ratings, perhaps appropriately so, in these two particular states. Okay, in the Kansas, yes, <laughs> Kansas, in the Kansas race for U.S. Senate, Jeff uh, Singer of Dilly Coast Elections writes, quote, Well, we were wrong. Like many other analysts and operatives in both parties, we had thought that Democratic State Senator Barbara Ballier only had a shot at flipping Kansas's open Senate seat if Republicans nominated former Secretary of State and perennial bungler, and I would add GOP voter fraud fraudster, Chris Kobach. Yet two months after Kobach lost and Congressman Roger Marshall beat him for the Republican nomination, This race for U.S. Senate in Kansas not only remains on the board, it has gotten more competitive than ever. Almost every survey released since the primary, including a mid-September poll from Marshall Marshall's own Republican allies, has shown a tight contest in both sides. Behaving accordingly. Outside Democratic groups are spending heavily, he says. National Republicans have likewise continued to pour in cash to aid Marshall in Kansas in a U.S. Senate race. Money that they would certainly rather be using elsewhere at a time when so many other GOP-held Senate seats are currently at risk. Marshall, Daily Coast notes, still has the upper hand in the state. Uh, that has given its presidential electoral votes to the Republicans in every presidential election since 1968. And he says they almost certainly will do so again. However, the Republican congressman is in much weaker shape than he ought to be. And Bollier, the uh, Democratic nominee who was a moderate Republican herself until two years ago, could win over enough uh, ticket splitters in Kansas to prevail here. So, Daily Coast moves that race today from likely Republican to lean Republican. So, they still got the advantage, but we will see. It is moving towards the Democrats at this point. It's
2: remarkable that it is more competitive for Democrats, and no one ever thought it would be.
1: In Kansas. Of course Kansas uh, elected a Democratic governor what two years ago in 2018. Yeah but so still. statewide well I know that's why you know keep your eye on Kansas. Also keep your eye on South Carolina. Singer writes almost every poll now out of South Carolina has shown a tight. US Senate race between Republican incumbent Lindsey Graham and Democrat Jamie Harrison who has been massively outspending uh, Graham. Outside groups on both sides have taken notice. They've begun dumping millions into a state that has not elected a single Democrat to statewide office since 2006. It would, of course, still represent a major upset if Graham actually lost South Carolina after winning by almost 16 points back in 2014. But the latest polls show pretty much a dead heat now between the two. South Carolina is, Daily Kos notes, likely to give its electoral votes to the GOP ticket, though that race is also unusually close for South Carolina, with the most recent polling showing a one-point lead for Donald Trump over Joe Biden in South Carolina. That's one poll from Quinnipiac, so I will consider that an outlier until other polling shows something similar. But at this point, anything could happen. And they write that the burden is now on Harrison to win over enough crossover support to prevail next month. Harrison has been running a very strong race against the three-term senator. And if anyone can pull off a surprise, he can, they say. So here, too, they are adjusting their prediction today from likely Republican for the U.S. Senate seat in South Carolina to Lean Republican today, which, again, I think very conservative of them. The Senate race there is looking to me a lot like a toss up, frankly, at this point.
2: Also remarkable.
1: Also remarkable. Of course, a toss up in South Carolina in the Senate race. Or even lean Republican uh, at this point uh, there or in Kansas suggests that the Republican Party may be in more trouble than anyone is willing to let on right now. And I understand because yeah, at this point, no one should get complacent. No one sh- should get complacent. Similarly, Daily Coast has uh, shifted House races towards Democrats in Arkansas, Arizona, these are House races, Arkansas, Arizona, Minnesota, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and Virginia, all in the Democrats' direction, from likely R to lean R, or from lean R to toss-up, or from lean D to likely D, etc., All in the direction of Democrats, none in the direction for Republicans. So, yes, with numbers like those, is it any wonder that Republicans are doubling and redoubling their effort to prevent voters from voting any way that they can? And they are having some success from their friends at the stolen U.S. Supreme Court. And yes, they're having some success in South Carolina, which I'm sure Lindsey Graham could not be more delighted about. On Monday night, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed with South Carolina Republicans saying that mail-in ballots in the state must contain a witness's signature. That is something that the lower federal courts said should be waived due to the coronavirus pandemic. You have people who are quarantining alone. How are they supposed to get a signature on their ballot? How is it supposed to be witnessed when nobody can come into their house? The high court made one concession, however, saying, uh, very kind of them, by the way, saying that ballots that were already sent in without a witness since voting has already begun in the Palmetto State, that those votes should be counted because a lower court had already waived that requirement and some people already voted without a witness and sent it in, so the Supreme Court said, okay, well, you know what, we'll give those... uh, We'll let
2: you count those.
1: ...for two days, if they arrive within two days of this decision on Monday. I think it's uh, if they arrive October 7th. So now, hey, U.S. Postal Service... Now's a great time to kick in and slow down that mail in South Carolina, in it. Tens of thousands of ballots have already been sent out to voters across the state, and the brief order from the court did not list any objecting justices uh, to the uh, order to overturn that, to, I guess, unwaive that requirement. But Justice uh, Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, Neil Gorsuch, they said that they would have granted the request in full, meaning that the ballot's already in without witness signatures, based on the previous earlier rulings by the lower courts, that they would throw out those as well. They would not count those. Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, all in favor of throwing away votes that were already cast without a witness signature based on what the lower courts had said, when they waived that requirement because of the pandemic. Just keep that in mind. That's how much Thomas and Alito and Gorsuch give a damn about democracy. Keep that in mind in the days and the weeks and the months and, yeah, the years ahead. The request to the high court came after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit last week, left in place an order blocking that requirement because of the risks associated with in-person voting during the pandemic. So a lower court judge and a court of appeals panel all said, yes, leave that waived. And it was overturned by the stolen U.S. Supreme Court. According to the order on Monday night, any ballots cast before the uh, the court's action, quote, and received within two days of this order, may not be rejected. South Carolina Democrats said that because the witness requirement was not in place during the state's primary this year, imposing it in the general election would risk substantial voter confusion. So yes, all of this changed between the primary, when Republicans wanted as many people as possible to vote, versus now, when they don't. The Washington Post notes that, uh, as usual in emergency orders, the court did not provide a reason for reimposing the requirement. But Justice Brett Kavanaugh, writing only for himself, said that there were two reasons. One, he said, respecting decisions of state officials and not interfering with election procedures close to the election. That is the so-called Purcell principle or the Purcell doctrine. We've discussed it many times on this show, but if you're not familiar with it, now is a great time to get familiar with it because we're going to hear a lot of decisions, I suspect, in the next few days and weeks uh, based on this so-called Purcell principle, which is pretty recently invented by the Supreme Court. It is unevenly applied by them. Basically, it claims that voting rules, no matter how many people might be disenfranchised by them, should not be changed just before an election because of the confusion that it would cause. Never mind the suppression that it might prevent, uh, avoiding confusion and chaos is more important. That's what they have claimed in, in rejecting uh, these uh, various rulings over in recent years. And apparently that's what they're doing now again here in South Carolina, even after people have already voted under the changed rules.
2: Yeah, because that's not confusing at all.
1: No. Kavanaugh wrote that, uh, quote, the state legislature's decision either to keep or to make changes to election rules to address COVID-19 should not be subject to second guessing by the judiciary. Yeah, I know you're looking. I'm like, like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that their job? I mean, uh, how about if they had changed the rules between the primary and the general election to expressly keep black people from voting? If they just wrote that into the rule. How about Catholics? I think, is Kavanaugh Catholic? I believe I he think is. a ca- Catholic. So what if they wrote, uh, made a law that said Catholics uh, cannot vote? Well, we can't change that because the state legislature decided that's how they wanted it, and it's only reached us right before the election. So Catholics, you're out of luck. I mean, if the judiciary said that it was unconstitutional to prevent Catholics or black people from voting, would you overturn that, Brett? Because it was too close to the election. Go get some beer, you creep. U.S. District Judge uh, Michelle Childs had previously found that requiring voters to get a witness signature would probably confuse and deter voters because of the rules in place during the primary. And that complying could increase their risk of exposure to the coronavirus. So because of all of that. Changing the rules between the primary and the general election, apparently that's no problem. No worry about confusion there or chaos there. No Purcell violations there, I guess. But that's where the Supreme Court is. We've got some other rulings also working their way towards that court, which will probably also run into Purcell. Some of these decisions are in state courts, which may or may not be taken up by the Supreme Court. But we're going to have to get there on another day because we're running a little bit later than I had hoped. (laughs) For some reason, someone just won't shut up. (laughs) So let's uh, take a quick break because we have a Green News report that we cannot put off. Right. Because we got an incoming hurricane yet again. Another one heading towards the Gulf Coast. And it's a doozy. It is indeed. That and much more. Some good news, in, some very cool news, actually, uh, indeed, uh, coming in the Green News Report. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. I suspect people in Louisiana might like to stop the world right around now. Yeah, uh, it's not looking good. this hurricane season. All right, some uh, difficult and grim news in the Green News Report, but it ends with some pretty cool news after all. In our latest Green News Report. This has been strengthening at a pretty robust rate.
2: Buckle up, Gulf Coast. Hurricane Delta is already a record breaker.
1: It's a disastrous new normal catastrophic fires
0: once contained to one season, now a harrowing year-round battle.
2: Grim milestone in California's historic disastrous fire season, Poland says it will phase out coal, plus Airbus debuts zero-emission passenger airplanes. Really? Yeah.
1: All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand
1: by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Since 1930, Five of the biggest fires out of the top 10 have been this year. California is America fast forward. The postcard from the future.
0: Oh man, are you serious? California is basically a postcard from the future? That means the future is also on fire? Yep. Sorry, Trevor. And it also means that the post office is still functioning in the future, so I guess woo! We did it. <laughs>
1: Okay, Desi Doyen, we've run through all the names in the alphabet for the storm, so now we're on to the Greek letters. I'm hoping there is not very many more because I know alpha, beta, gamma, delta... And I think I know Epsilon, but after that, I'm completely out.
2: (laughs) Me too. But yes, Hurricane Delta has formed in the Caribbean and is on track to impact the central Gulf Coast of the United States. Delta is the earliest 25th named storm ever recorded in this historic 2020 Atlantic hurricane season. We're now into the Greek alphabet for storm names for only the second time on record. Delta formed more than a month earlier than the previous record 25th storm. That was back in 2005. The National Hurricane Center forecasts that Delta will rapidly intensify due to very warm ocean waters and has issued storm surge warnings from Texas to Florida. Delta could slam into beleaguered, storm-weary Louisiana, and if Delta makes landfall, it would be the first-ever Greek-named storm to hit the United States. And it would be the 10th tropical storm to make landfall on the mainland U.S. this season, breaking the 1916 record of just nine landfalling storms.
1: And we've still got about a month to go in the storm season?
2: Actually, about two months. Oh, boy. A grim milestone in California.
1: So far this year, California has seen more than 8,000 wildfires, destroying more than
0: 7,000 buildings.
2: The state's historic 2020 wildfire season, which shows no signs of slowing down, has now burned more than 4 million acres. That's more than 6,000 square miles, and it is more than double the state's previous record year. The five largest wildfires in California history have all hit this year and have killed more than 31 people in California and cost hundreds of billions of dollars in damages and economic losses.
1: And they tell us we can't afford to do anything about climate change.
2: In other news, a federal judge in Montana has ordered the removal of Trump's controversial acting director of the Bureau of Land Management, William Pendley. The judge ruled Pendley has been serving unlawfully for more than a year because he did not get Senate confirmation. Pendley advocates privatizing all of the public's lands, so of course Trump tried to put him in charge of the public's lands. Is
1: that the law and order president? Yeah.
2: Yeah. The court ruling could unravel some of Pendley's decisions, but don't worry he's still there working in his old job. Of course
1: he is. Law and order.
2: And also at the Interior Department, after stalling for months, a top Trump Interior official finally released a scientific study confirming the impact of oil development on federally protected polar bear populations in Alaska. The study showed that endangered polar bears are already being harmed by the loss of sea ice due to man-made climate change, but that climate change will open up more areas for oil extraction, which the study notes will also further harm polar bears. The study may slow down new oil exploration in parts of Alaska. In the coal industry, Robert E. Murray, the 80-year-old former CEO and president of bankrupt Murray Energy Coal Mining Company, who for years attacked federal mine safety regulations aimed at reducing terminal black lung disease among coal miners and who disputed the health care claims of coal miners seeking treatment for black lung disease, has himself filed for black lung benefits.
1: Mm, Well, it's karma, but it's hard to be happy about that one.
2: But some good news, Poland has signed an agreement with its coal mining unions to phase out coal entirely by 2050. Now, climate scientists say 2050 is too late, but policy experts say that the unions agreeing to an end date for the liquidation of Poland's coal mining industry is a huge development. The first time that Poland has put a timeline on ending coal, which accounts for about 75 percent of the country's electricity
1: generation. Really? I'll tell you. I always forget about Poland.
2: Finally, European airplane manufacturer Airbus has unveiled three new concepts for zero-emissions passenger planes that it hopes to launch for commercial use by 2035. The V-shaped Zero-E's jet engine would use hydrogen as the primary fuel instead of kerosene with onboard batteries to run it as a hybrid electric propulsion
1: system. Will it stay in the sky? Yes! It's witchcraft, I tell you. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. As it's witchcraft, <laughs> yes. that crazy witchcraft, is. and although it's crazy. Zero emissions, <laughs> but it airplanes. gives you a
2: chance to think about the world that can be. Yes, innovation is possible. It's
1: very cool, and that's Airbus, by the way, European company. Uh, meanwhile, Boeing back here is looking at going out of business because they build crappy. Planes that fall out of the sky, and we're <laughs> uh, missing that race. Uh, you know, oh, we're missing we the race all over all the place. over the place. Yes. You're
2: Donald at... Trump and Republicans are holding us back from leading the world in innovation.
1: If Airbus uh, comes up with a, a zero emissions plane, and they got three of them there on the drawing board, if those things work, I mean, uh, that's it, game over for American um, uh, air manufa- airplane manufacturers who haven't. Figured yeah, haven't this haven't even yet. tried
2: starting yet.
1: God, we suck. Oh, uh, well. Uh, anyway, uh, very quickly, a uh, quick update on Hurricane, hurricane Delta. Delta. Yes,
2: Hurricane Delta, as we are speaking now, is now a very powerful Category 4 hurricane. Four. It is on a collision course with Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula, and it is eventually going to head, it looks like, to the U.S. Gulf Coast. It will be, if it hits where it looks like it's going to hit, Friday around 11 a.m. Mm. on uh, New Orleans or Louisiana's mm. coast. It will be the 4th. Fourth landfalling hurricane in Louisiana this year alone,
1: and uh, it has gotten really strong, really fast. From, yes, you know, up to three, then to four, it's and the it's the second got a long way fastest to
2: go. intensifying hurricane on record in the Gulf of wow. Mexico. Yeah,
1: and they tend to get stronger, not weaker, don't they? The it more depends. time they spend over warm water,
2: it depends, but yes, they do tend to.
1: Thank you very much, Desi and our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those who uh, donate to our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You can also email me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
2: This witchcraft That crazy witchcraft
0: And although